I raised a little bit of capital, enough to you know pay a graphic designer to get a brand designed, enough mm-hmm. to, to fund uh, creating my first batch, and I actually created my first batch out of another distillery because uh, getting your own distillery started up take, takes quite a bit of capital. So I worked yeah. with another distillery, got my product started there, and I basically lived out of my car for the first two years, just driving up and down the state, selling my spirits out of my car and, and bootstrapping it. Welcome to the Ripcord Moment, a podcast focused on empowering business owners to optimize their company along with their personal finances and succession plans. I'm your host, Joe Situ. In this season, we're focused on younger entrepreneurs who are navigating the challenges of the current environment. Our hope is that their stories inspire you to take the actions needed to overcome the challenges in your business that you might be facing. Grow and scale your company in a way you envision and ultimately achieve your perfect landing. Welcome to the Ripcord Moment. I'm your host, Joe C2. Today, we're joined by Aaron Berg. He is the uh, founder and owner of Calwise Spirits. They're a boutique uh, custom liquor and spirit company up in Paso Robles and known for uh, specific labels, uh, Big Sir Gin and uh, Axe Hole Whiskey. Uh, Aaron, welcome to the show. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it, too. Absolutely. So, well, let's start with, you know, why were you drawn to uh, the spirits industry in particular? I'd love to hear how you got your start. Yeah, I I got my start uh, back in my college days. I decided to uh, become a a hobbyist hooch maker, um, as as some call shooting stew, um, because (laughs) uh, you like to consume alcohol in college. And, uh, you know, it makes sense to make it yourself sometimes. So I taught myself how to make it. It just started out as a hobby. And uh, then I started realizing, hey, this is becoming more than a hobby. This is becoming a, a passion and, and now an obsession. And uh, it just continued um, as, as a passion project in, in college. And then I started to notice that, that there might be a, a product market fit here. Um, spirits, uh, especially craft spirits, have uh, you know, been on the up lately and you know especially you know within the past 10 years uh, which was about the time when when I started uh, becoming a, a hobbyist and I realized that it would make sense to turn my passion into a company but and also I think you know if I understand what we spoke before your family has some roots related to uh, you know to to the to the industry you know talk to us a little bit about that yeah, so I uh, after I became a, a hobbyist, I learned uh, that my great great grandfather uh, named Bill Kiever um, lived in northern Minnesota, and he was a moonshiner back during Prohibition. Uh, he he was a, really? a logger up in Minnesota. Yeah, and uh, he ended up um, his his logging company uh, was sabotaged by some competitors. And it bankrupted him, unfortunately. So wow. he, he tried to find other ways to, to make some money. And one okay. way he found was to uh, make moonshine. moonshine. So he, he built his own still, started making moonshine and selling it. And uh, unfortunately, he, he must not have had very good, uh, very good luck because um, he got caught again. He got caught by the, the feds and they came into oh. uh, his, his still house at night. They took an axe to his still and they they hacked it up and filled it with a bunch of axles. So so hence the name oh our uh, axle whiskey here. Um, that's okay. Of my great great grandfather. Yeah. 
That's I, well, I was going to ask you where you got the name from, and so that's that's a great story. Uh, yeah. So you've got the Axle Whiskey, which is one of your um, you know your your core products, what you're known for, and then I think one of the others is the Big Sur Gin. Maybe talk to us a little bit about about that, but also the overarching theme uh, that you're going with for these, you know, combining I think the sort of California feel with uh, with your spirits. Yeah, absolutely. So. Our, our whiskey, which is is you know our, our top seller next to our our Big Sur Gin, and uh, we call it Big Sur Gin because we're up here in Paso Robles, so we're we're you know right down the street from from Big Sur practically, and yep. it's one of my favorite places in the world. And I I traveled there when I was a kid, but uh, when I was going up to college here at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, uh, I I would travel up to Big Sur quite a bit because it was so close. And it's, it's, it's such a magical place, and it, it's, it's my favorite place in the world. And I wanted to make a gym that tastes like Big Sur. And, it, and not just tastes like any gym, but tastes, uh, and not just tastes like any gym, but not, not just tastes like any sort of beverage, but actually tastes like an experience in a bottle. So the, the Big Sur gin is made from wine grapes that are grown here in Paso Robles. So we distill the wine grapes, use the, the spirit base as the base for the gin, and then we infuse it with native plants that actually grow in Big Sur, like white sage and elderberry and bay leaf. So when you drink this gin, even if you're not in Big Sur, uh, when you drink the gin, drinking it, uh, makes you feel like you're experiencing you there. Mm -hmm. no, that, 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 so what gave you this this what inspired you i guess is a better way to put it to um you know craft a the, the spirits that really are experiential as specifically related to, to where you're living i think if you look at every good distiller and, and every good interesting unique spirits category the one thing they all have in common is they're making spirits that are based on where they live. You okay. know, look at look at Scotch, for instance. Right. Um, the okay. thing that makes Scotch so unique is is there's a lot of peat bogs in, in Scotland. So mm -hmm. they, they use you know they make logs out of the peat from the peat bogs, and they use that to smoke the barley um, before they they you know make it into whiskey and that's what gives scotch's characteristic like earthy peaty mm -hmm. uh, smoky flavor and you have uh, you know another example would be uh, tequila you know down, down in mexico a lot of agave grows down in mexico it's, it's, it's endemic to the area and uh, they they make that into tequila and it's what it's what gives tequila its characteristic and a, a you know succulent earthy um tequila flavor Got it. Okay. Now that makes, that makes total sense. But then specifically, one of the things I think that's unique to, you know, your story and even where you live is sort of your extreme climate, right? And so how have, I would imagine that, I would think initially that would be such sort of a, a disadvantage to what you do, but yet you've somehow taken that and turned that around into, I think, a competitive advantage. So maybe talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, about that in terms of, you know, um, yeah, again, how are you using that to your, to your advantage? Yeah. Uh, so up, up here in, in Paso Robles, I mean, uh, one of the things that, that people, uh, know Paso Robles for, probably the main thing people know Paso Robles for is we grow some of the best wine grapes in, in the world here. Uh, so our, our climate, which is, is really hot in the summer and provides, uh, for, you know, 
great ripening conditions for the grapes, but actually cools down at night. So the grapes have a chance to rest at night. It makes for the, for some of the best grapes in the world. And the other benefit that I have is when it comes to, to barrel aging. So when you put spirit in a barrel, uh, you have a, you know, 53 gallon barrel, uh, wood barrel with spirit in it. As it, the temperature fluctuates, that barrel kind of beats like a heart. Imagine, imagine it like expanding and contracting as the day go, goes by. And because we have such, beats like a heart. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy to think, think about, right? Yeah. Like it, it really is. Like if you were to put a time-lapse camera on it, like uh -huh. it, would, it would be like a heart beating, you okay. know, one beat per day. Yeah. It expands and contracts and uh, with our, you know, extreme temperature differentials, because it'll be 110 during the day here in the summer, but it'll cool down to 60 degrees at night, which, which right. is, is crazy. Um, so as that happens, as that barrel expands and contracts, the spirit actually uh, ages even faster and it yeah. more oak into the spirit. Wow. So that's something that's, that's, it sounds like unique to your, your spirits versus, you know, the, uh, those that are made in other parts of the United States or even the world. Um, yeah, I mean, going back to the, the whiskey, for instance, uh -huh. you know, the, the actual whiskey, you have a single malt whiskey, um, you know, scotch, usually if you want a good scotch, you're having to drink like a 12-year-old scotch, right? Okay. And the reason why it is, it, it, you have to wait 12 years is because Scotland, so it's kind of cold there. They cold don't really there, have yeah. swings, so they have to age things a lot longer, where I can only age, I only need to age mine for two to three years, oh, and wow. it's just as smooth as, as any scotch you're going to get from Scotland. So yeah, it is that. I mean, those are orders of magnitude quicker. It sounds like mm -hmm. within years. Um, and then with regards, to, I mean, like you, you know, you describe yourself as you know a California entrepreneur. As it relates to again, you you you've said you you know I think you liken yourself to being sort of an artist, a bit of a scientist, and a bit of a businessman all rolled into one. What what is it? I mean, I guess why would you describe yourself like that? And and uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I and that's the whole reason I really went into distilling was I found it was that that happy medium between being both a scientist and, and an artist. And I, I think the science side is is relatively obvious. You know that there's a lot of chemistry that goes into blending spheres together and and, and the distillation itself. Uh, there's there's uh, a lot of biology that goes into fermentation and managing, uh, you know, the, the yeast and and their their conversion of sugar into alcohol. So, mm -hmm. so the science side, I have plenty of opportunities to to geek out there. Um, yeah. On the creative side, I, I'm, I'm an artist, um, so I get to create. I get to blend new flavors together, and, and it's like being a it's like being a chef in a way. It's it's, it's really a, a culinary art um, that that we're doing here, and uh, business wise. Uh, you know, I have to sell people on it. And uh, I, I, I have a lot of fun getting out there and, and doing sales. So I, I, I love looking at the numbers behind everything too. Mm -hmm. And uh, distilling was just, yeah, this happy blend between sort of, the, the yeah. three disciplines. It sounds like, yeah, it's a great confluence of all these different areas that really speak to, to who you are. And so maybe we can pivot to more of the business side for you. So you started this business from what I understand about seven years ago you know, really no, no family money where, you know, you're able to launch it. So you kind of, you know, how, how were you able to get the company off the ground and get it to where it is today? Well, I was very fortunate to go to a great school like Cal Poly. 
And uh, Cal Poly is one of the few universities in the state, if not the country, that has a an entrepreneurship program. And it's called the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. And when you graduate from college, most colleges' uh, goal is to, to feed you into working at, at a large company. Uh, well, sure. Cal Poly ha has this alternative route where if you want to start your own company, they're going to empower you to do that out of college. So when I graduated college, I went through this entrepreneurship program and uh, they helped me get my business plan together and, uh, you know, bring my head down from from where I was in the clouds a bit and and, and help me, um, you know, be a little bit more realistic. Like reality a little bit. <laughs> yes, yes. It, exactly. And, you know, how, how to put a supply chain together, how, how to even go out there and do sales, how to, uh, you know, evaluate your your consumer market. Yeah. So I had a lot of help there and uh, I, I was very fortunate to, to go through that program. And because that program is known for being so great, uh, it attracts a lot of, of investors um, who are looking for, you know, young, fresh startups to invest okay. in. So this brought so that helped you raise a little bit of capital to to get going. Yes, yeah, so, so I was able to raise a little bit of capital to get going, and then I bootstrapped it from there. I, I I raised a little bit of capital enough to you know pay a graphic designer to get a brand design enough mm -hmm. to to fund uh, creating my first batch, and I actually created my first batch out of another distillery because. Uh, getting your own distillery started up take, takes quite a bit of capital. So I worked yeah. in another distillery, got my product started there, and I basically lived out of my car for the first two years, just driving up and down the state, selling my spirits out of my car and, and bootstrapping it. That's amazing, uh, Aaron. Well, and then, I mean, at one point, you, you COVID was a big pivot. I think you were having some success. You were in something like 400 stores, and then you had sort of an, an unexpected event. Walk us through what that was like and, and what occurred. Yeah, I. So, so the first two years of my company, I, I spent bootstrapping, you know, and, and and selling my spirits out of my car. And then when I was able to to generate some success that way, it made sense to open up my own distillery. So I got my own distillery, and uh, when I did that, I I had to actually give up my distributor license. Uh, because I, I got a distiller's license and the state of mm. California doesn't allow you to, to have both licenses. So I had to find a distributor. So I was producing spirits out of my distillery, selling it to my distributor who would go and sell it to my accounts, which was 400 accounts that included some pretty big chains like Whole Foods and BevMo and Total Wine. And they, they were distributing them to these accounts for me. And then when the pandemic hit, they had to lay off about a third of their sales force. My distributor did. And yeah. it, it was so it was just like overnight, like a switch. I went from making quite a few sales and being distributed throughout the state to absolutely nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So that I mean, that 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 just must have been really heartbreaking and challenging, which kind of leads me into my next question. Um, what do you find as being the most challenging thing about being an entrepreneur um it, it yeah the most challenging thing about being an entrepreneur i think the most challenging thing is i mean management is, is certainly tough as far as, as managing both employees and and customers and then mm -hmm. 
but just being able to to read the market because especially when you're small and you're, you're a small startup like this you have to be nimble and quick on your feet you have to see where the market's going and be ready to to change um you know and, and be able to pivot on a dime yeah i mean it sounds like flexibility is incredible when you're you're starting out and you're you don't have a ton of market share that you can can command that you're you have to maintain that level of flexibility is critical for your success. And then the other thing, I mean, it seemed like what I was gleaning from is just the fact that you've got to have a lot of grit. Um, when, you know, if you're living out of your car, uh, if you're doing those kind of things to, you know, to get the sales and, and let me actually even ask you that, taking a step back and asking you, I mean, you're relative, you're very young when you started this business and you, while you maybe had sort of the textbook learning from from college and, and and the programs you went through there's a lot of difference between that and actually real world how did you get um you, you know people to buy into your vision into your product when they said hey here's a, you know here's here's this nice guy he's, he looks young but uh and he seems nice but but again he, he's young i might not take him seriously but you knew you had a quality product how did you get them to buy into what you were selling i Honestly, like you said, it takes a lot of grit and a lot of trial and error. And you know that the the first few people I talked to didn't buy into my my vision. And uh, uh, then it, then it's like, okay, if people aren't buying into your vision, maybe you have to pivot a little bit and you have to to to, to change your vision a bit. So it takes a little bit of tweaking and and just being open to uh to, to being quick and, and nimble and uh and 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 learning. And yeah, just honestly, take took a lot of trial and error. So it's just learning on the fly, figuring out what was resonating, what wasn't, and changing your messaging to to fit the market and to to fit the audience. So uh, I love that, Aaron. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm passionate about doing uh, on the podcast is getting real world stories from, you know, in this season, season three, we're focusing on the young entrepreneur. And if you almost took the less, you know, you you. You know, you've been out there now. You've got seven years under your belt. Like some of the lessons you've learned over the, over these seven years, what would you say to your younger self, right? In terms of, hey, here's two critical things uh, that you know you would impart to your younger self to get you up to speed quick, or that even those in the audience could glean from your experience. What would those two bold action items be? <laughs> that that's a really interesting question. Because there, there's certainly things that I, I, I would tell my younger self now, but I don't know if my younger self will listen. And, well, there's that, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think one of the main things, and it sounds so cliche, is it, 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 you don't understand how hard it is and how hard it's going to be until you actually get started. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's just, it's never not going to be hard. Okay. So, well, if I'm reading between the lines there, there's no substitute for experience. There's, uh, you know, being, um, what's the right word? I, you know, I guess the, the going back to what you're saying about grit, right? And resilience, like it's going to be challenging, but certainly um, having the the belief that you can do it and just stick-to-itiveness is, is ultimately like just reinforcing that would be one of them. You know, what, what's something else, uh, you know, I think we talked previously about like just your experience in management and how you've navigated some of those, you know, more challenging discussions and how you handle, uh, you know, conflict or challenging discussions. So what, what have you learned along the way related to that? 
as, as far as as management I, I again like like you just said it, there's no substitute for experience and and uh, you're, you're going to fail and you're going to approach a, a conversation or, or a conflict in a way that it shouldn't be approached and it's going to blow up in your face and you're going to have to learn to, to lick your wounds and uh, you know take the L and uh, figure out how, how to do it better next time. Yeah. So if we fast forward, uh, well, I love that. First of all, thank you. That, I, I, those are really, really good words. Um, if we fast forward, you know, three, four five years from now, what does what's on the horizon for for you for Calwise Spirits? I mean, are you going to be launching a, a, a lot of other different um, you know labels with uh, within your brand? Are you going to be expanding into different markets? You're just going to be really sticking to you know right here in California. I I do want to expand again. So you know I mentioned before when the pandemic hit, I I lost almost all of my distribution, and uh, I in a way just kind of hunkered down and circled the wagons and really focused on having a successful direct consumer model outside okay. of my tasting room at my distillery in Paso Robles. And it's been going great for me. It's been profitable. Uh, I've, 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 I've kept my business afloat and, you know, actually more than afloat, very successful over yeah. the past few years since the pandemic. And, and now that the pandemic seems to be winding down and, you know, we might be returning to, to at least some sense of, of normalcy, uh, the plan is to get back out there and expand back into the distribution market. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, thank you. Going to be very much excited to see you know your growth, where the company goes over the next couple of years, and what additional you know uh, tasty uh, uh, brands that you come up with with inside Cowie Spirit. So, um, well, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule today to share with us you know your passion, uh, your business model, and what you're doing in uh, Paso Robles to uh, you know to create more culture and more great experiences for for your clients. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on this morning. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and wind up. This is Joe C2 from the Ripcord Moment, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>